Hi everyone, Sandman here. Today's video is brought to you by a donation from Elliot, and he wants me to cover the famous Russian writer and philosopher Leo Tolstoy. This isn't another part of my God Among MGTOW series, but instead a video discussing Leo Tolstoy's relationship with his wife, Sophie. So let me get to it, and this is basically what Elliot has to say. Hi Sandman, I really enjoy your videos, and have learned a lot from them. You do a really great job reading your well-reasoned and researched scripts. Thank you for your work, but please make a video about Leo Tolstoy. One of his short stories, The Kreutzer Sonata, has a chapter in it which reads like one of your videos. Of course, Leo Tolstoy's hateful wife had to have the last word by writing two responses to his piece. From my research, Leo Tolstoy wanted to be a MGTOW, but did not leave his wife. Even on his deathbed, she tried to make him accept her belief in the Orthodox Church. His response was, Even in the valley of the shadow of death, two and two do not make six. He was a truth seeker and a great writer. And I look forward to watching your video about him. So thank you. Well, that's what Elliot has to say. And I'm including two links in the description below that Elliot mentions in his comments. The first link is a chapter from the Kreutzer Sonata and I'm going to read and discuss a portion from that particular text. It's not very long, and only roughly about two pages, so if you want to read it for yourself, then please do so. The Sonata starts talking about Jewish people before it mentions women. And I'm guessing that through most of history in Europe, Jewish people were handicapped by governments and not allowed to be politicians and leaders in those particular countries. They were looked down upon and not allowed to run for public office or become monarchs or aristocrats, or maybe he's stating that Jewish people didn't have the same right to vote back then. I'm not quite sure. But anyways, the Jewish people were allowed to make money by becoming merchants. And through the power of money is how Leos Tolstoy sees Jewish people as being powerful. Almost like they had to compensate for a lack of political and social power in society by gaining more money and more power that way. And then they could lend that money back to the people that were oppressing them and collect the interest. And thus, they could oppress the oppressors. And Tolstoy sees women the same way in this chapter, and he sees that while women do not have the right to choose the politicians they can vote into power, they take their power from the ability to choose what she wants in life based on the man that she's married to. She dictates to him what she wants, abuses him, and becomes the supreme entity in the man-woman relationship. And where does the woman get this power to choose her lifestyle and convince her husband to give her what she wants? Well, this is what Tolstoy has to say. Where? Why? Everywhere and everything. Go see the stores in the large cities. There are millions there. Millions. It is impossible to estimate the enormous quantity of labor that is expended there. In nine-tenths of those stores, is there anything whatever for the use of men? All the luxury of life is demanded and sustained by women. Count the factories. The greater part of them is engaged in making feminine ornaments. Millions of men, generations of slaves, die toiling like convicts simply to satisfy the whims of our companions. Women like queens keep nine-tenths of the human race as prisoners of war, or as prisoners of hard labor. And all this because they have been humiliated, because they have been deprived of rights equal to those which men enjoy. They also take revenge for our sensuality. They catch us in their nets. Yes, the whole thing is there. Women have made themselves such a weapon to act upon the senses that a young man, and even an old man, cannot remain tranquil in their presence. Watch a popular festival, or a receptions on ballrooms. Women well know their influence in those particular situations. 
you will see it in her triumphant smile. As soon as a young man advances towards a woman, directly he falls under the influence of this opium and loses his head. Long ago I felt ill at the ease when I saw a woman too well adorned, whether a woman of the people with her red handkerchief or her looped skirt, or a woman of our own society in her ballroom dress. But now it simply terrifies me. I see it as a danger to men, something contrary to the laws, and I feel a desire to call a policeman to appeal for defense from some quarter, to demand that this dangerous object be removed. Well, that's what Tolstoy shares with us in his works, and it quite often sounds like a MGTOW video, and I tend to agree with him wholeheartedly. The Gucci purse, the expensive home in the suburbs, the expensive vacation, they're all symbols of women's oppression of men and rubbing it in our faces. Women are saying to men, how dare you be the patriarchs and oppress us? How dare you not allow us to work and labor alongside you? As a revenge, we will take the power of your labor and subvert that labor to our own ends to make purses and shoes, as well as dresses to enhance our beauty and thus further enslave you. That's what Leo Tolstoy thought women were thinking, that women are dangerous objects because they manipulate men's time and labor for their own ends, all because they feel they don't really have any real power in society. Women think they're avenging their so-called subjugation by men by turning them into workhorses. Tolstoy uses the comparison of the Jewish people and women to say that the oppressed class of people is using their weakness as their strength. Jewish people were always allowed to make money but not hold true political power, so they controlled through money in Russia back when T Leo Tolstoy was alive. And women didn't seem to have the right to choose with regards to the vote, so they chose to make sure that men didn't have the choice in how they would spend their time. Men would be devoted to working for the things that women wanted. And women would use their beauty and highlight that beauty through the goods manufactured by men, only to use those same goods to subjugate and enslave men further. And each new generation of dresses, shoes, and fashion accessories were used to highlight women's sexuality and thus control men. But what women don't seem to realize is that men aren't trying to oppress women. How can men, the workers that produce the majority of the wealth in our society, be subjugating women if they're giving women 80 to 90 percent of the purchasing power? Men have worked and women have consumed. That's been the natural order of things. And why are men that work being vilified for having that privilege of working? This is basically what Leo Tolstoy saw around him with regards to male-female interactions. But it wasn't about oppression, it was about survival. If women were managing men working on farmers' fields, as well as on the battlefields as generals, are we really to believe that most women wouldn't put female interests first, and thus lead most men to their destruction? Or would they work their men and push their soldiers to a cruel death? Not to mention if either side used women in their battles, then they would basically have a harder time bouncing back with regards to reproduction. Like it was mentioned before, one man can impregnate hundreds of women. Yet one woman with hundreds of men is completely useless in terms of survival of the tribe or the species. This isn't new material, but what I'm trying to say is that women are bitter. They're bitter because men have evolved to have larger muscles and thus be capable of doing more things in society. And they're only responsible for childbirth. I have a feeling that many women don't even see childbirth as a blessing, as they claim, but a burden that many of them feel makes them second-rate men at best. Women want the ability to influence men to do their bidding and produce for them, but also gain all the privileges of being a man without any of the responsibilities of being a woman. They want it all. Men, for the most part, have not wanted the power of women. Many of us have not wanted their ability to manipulate others using words, 
nor to have children and raise them. But with surrogacy and the internet, men are starting to talk to each other about women, and we're learning how to free ourselves from the words and gazes of women. And with surrogacy, we can nurture and raise children on our own and become single dads if we choose. Women are welcome to enter the workforce and do things any which way they want, but they have to allow us men to do the same things, otherwise it won't be true equality. Getting back to Tolstoy and Sophia, when the Kritzer Sonata was published, the Tsar censor said that it was basically too risqué to be published in Russia. And the article I mentioned earlier, the second link in the description, has this to say after the Sonata wasn't allowed for publication. Oddly, it was Sophia who came to the rescue when the Kreutzer Sonata fell afoul of government censors. As custodian of her husband's literary work, she made a special trip to St. Petersburg in 1891 to plead the story's cause before Tsar Alexander III and gain his permission to include it in an edition of Tolstoy's writings. Using charm and sophistry, she argued that the Kreutzer Sonata made the case for sexual purity, surely a good thing. And besides, she added, a favor from the Tsar might actually encourage her husband to resume writing works like Anna Karenina. Ah, how good would that be, he replied. What a great writer he is. And the ban was lifted. That's what the article basically says. And the author thinks it's shocking that Sophia defended her husband's writing, only to attack it once he was dead. But as a man going his own way, I'm not surprised in the least. She was protecting her workhorse. She was making sure Tolstoy would basically continue to write and generate income, and therefore she could enjoy the money and honor that he brought to her. There's nothing odd about protecting her husband like an investment. Even though Sophia felt that Tolstoy wrote this story against her, bringing up the negative consumerist qualities that she had, it also connected Tolstoy's personal life with her, and she didn't appreciate that. The Tsar felt pity for Sophia as well as many other people in Tolstoy's inner circle, and that's why he lifted the ban on the writing. And Elliot is right, this is similar to what I'm doing with regards to my ex-girlfriends, mentioning them here on YouTube. I take every precaution possible to make sure I'm not connected to the people that I talk about. I never use their real names, but sometimes I fear if someone that knows me hears my videos, they will basically make the connection and contact one of my ex-girlfriends, and all hell will break loose. But I guess secretly or subconsciously, I want that to happen, because I never really got the chance to tell them the things that I've discovered via MGTOW. Anyways, thanks again to Elliot for his donation, and thank you everyone for taking your daily dose of red pills. So enjoy the rest of your day, and cheers.